0: Father God, even now as we open up your word, we ask that you would touch us. We ask that you would open up our hearts so that we can hear you clearly. We ask that there would be no distractions, that you would remove all obstacles. And God, I pray for those who came in here needing a word, needing a touch from you. I pray that you would meet them today. I pray that you would touch them like never before. I pray that you would remind them that you are a very present help in time of trouble. You are a strong tower that we can run to, and we are safe. We are safe in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said? Turn to your neighbor, say, God is good, and I'm glad about it. Can we give it up for this choir? Can we give it up for for them leading us into the presence of God? You may be seated. You may be seated. Y'all were doing kind of the half sit down thing. Like, is he going to tell us to, to stand up? No, nah, y'all can sit down. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 3. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 3. We have been going through a series entitled Rise Up and Build. Everybody say, Rise Up, Rise up. and Build. Now, this is built on the idea that our theme for the year is whole church. Everybody say, Whole church. And what that means, if you're just joining us today, what that means is that we are making an endeavor, making intentionality this year to be whole, to be complete, to be mature, to be who God has called us to be. Anybody still believing in the whole church vision? Anybody believing that God wants you to be whole from the inside out? And what we have said is it takes a whole church. That means it takes a mature church, a complete church. And we've been unpacking this idea of what it means to be whole uh, from the book of Nehemiah in the series Rise Up and Build. And last week we talked about opposition. We talked about when people just don't get you. How many were blessed by that? When people just don't get you. Hopefully you went and applied it and you didn't leave those people in your life. Amen. Amen. Today we're also going to talk about something that relates to opposition, but it takes it a little bit further. We're going to talk about distractions. Everybody say distractions. Distractions. Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse 3, Nehemiah says this. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? I want to minister a message this morning entitled, Reclaiming My Time. Reclaiming My Time. (laughs) Look at your neighbor say, neighbor, I'm reclaiming my time. It was the end of July in 2017, and the Financial Services Committee within the House of Representatives was meeting to discuss an inquiry. The subject of the hearing was the Treasury Secretary, Steve Munchen, and the committee was asking him questions for the purposes of accountability. They were going around for their five-minute allotments of time, and most of us don't watch these committee meetings. Most of us have no idea what's going on in these meetings. They're typically on C-SPAN. They don't go viral. It's not popular content. But everything was going normal. Everything was following the boring formula until they got to Congresswoman Maxine Waters. Congresswoman Waters asked a question about a letter that the committee had sent to the secretary. And in response, he began to thank her and recognize all the great things that she's done for the 43rd district in California. He said, since I am... A resident Californian myself, I just want to recognize and thank you for all the things that you've done. And she says, recognizing that he is trying to avoid asking the question or answering the question, she steps in and says, wait a minute, wait a minute, no, 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 reclaiming my time, reclaiming my time. She says, I don't want to hear about how great I am. I just want you to answer the question. So the secretary was obviously startled, right? He, He sat back and said, wait a minute. And he even remarked, even though he was smiling, he remarked, and you could tell he was a little pressed. He said, I was told that I wouldn't be interrupted by anyone. I was told that I would have the opportunity to speak. And Congresswoman Waters nodded politely, and then she said, well, what they didn't tell you is that when you're on my time, I can reclaim it. What they didn't tell you is that when you're on my time, you're really on my time, reclaiming my time. Everybody say reclaiming my time. That exchange went viral, even producing a gospel version of the statement. And it was seen as an opportunity to reclaim time from the forces of oppression and control that seek to marginalize certain groups of people. You know, people say reclaiming my time when, when someone tries to distract you With nonsense, you can say, I'm reclaiming my time. When someone tries to tell you what you should and shouldn't think, you can say reclaiming my time. And while it's powerful to reflect upon those implications, I think that the phrase became popular, It caught on, because that is a natural human desire. We all want to reclaim our time. Anybody in here wish you had a little bit more time in the week? Anybody wish you had a little bit more time in the day? Any students in here wish you had more time to study and figure out how to get your life together? Any teachers and educators wish you had more time to figure out how you're going to deal with these students? <laughs> Any workers, you, you wish you had a little bit more time to figure out how you're going to get all your work done, figure out how you're going to measure up to the boss's uh, assessments and everything that he wants? I just want to reclaim my time. Anybody would like a few more hours of sleep at night? Anybody would like an extra week of paid vacation in the house? Amen. Reclaiming my time. And is anybody honest enough to admit that you've, uh, you've had a conversation with God? You said, God, can you just give me an extra 30 minutes? You don't have to worry about these other people, but just give me an extra 30 minutes of time. Maybe you're not that bold. Maybe you said, God, all I need is just for you to stretch time just a little bit so that I can be more productive throughout the day. Anybody ever had that conversation with God? I understand this. I identify with those feelings, and I believe that we're all sincere. But the problem is that while many of us claim that we want more time, the issue that God has and the issue that we have is we don't properly manage the time he's already given to us. We ask God for more. We ask God to make a way where there is no way. We ask God to supernaturally make time appear, to slow down time, to make the sun stand still. But the reality is the 24 hours of the day that he's given to us aren't being managed well. Anybody honest enough to admit, I, I, got, I got some time issues. I got some schedule issues. I'm still trying to work this out. I know this personally. And we add things to our schedule that don't fit our purpose We add things to our schedule that don't make sense, and then we're shocked when we run out of time. We're shocked when we can't get everything done that God has called us to accomplish. We're shocked when it doesn't work out in our favor, and God is calling us today to reclaim our time from this idea of more. I was listening to a basketball podcast last year, and the host, Bill Simmons, he referenced Pat Riley. Anybody know who Pat Riley is? Pat Riley is a Hall of Fame coach who has led six teams to NBA championships, and and Bill Simmons was talking about how Pat Riley was writing about the 1980 Los Angeles Lakers. Any Lakers fans in the house? It's okay, y'all gonna be okay. Okay, y'all. Are. <laughs> I see. I I did that so y'all can see who y'all gonna have to avoid during the playoffs. Okay, stretch your hands toward them and pray for them. You know they're gonna be. You know. You know they're gonna be excited. So the Lakers won the championship in 1980, right? Lakers fans will tell you with Magic Johnson, that young man up there. But they didn't win the next year. As a matter of fact, they got eliminated in the first round next year by Moses Malone and the Houston Rockets. And the reason for that is this phrase, which I believe applies to us today. Pat Riley says they fell prey to the disease of more. The disease of more. He said this, listen to this quote, success is often the first step towards a disaster. Success is often the first step towards disaster. Why? Because when a team wins a title and accomplishes something, everything on a team changes. Everyone on the team wants more shots and more attention and more money. And what it does is it kills team chemistry because they cannot be thankful for what they have right now. The disease of more, And he said, it's hard not to be selfish, but you have to fight that disease because what it will do is it will prematurely end dynasties. Pat Riley said that teams who win championships are often ultimately dethroned, not by other better teams, but by forces within the organization itself. And I believe that not even related to basketball or sports, not even related to corporate America, the church has a problem with the disease of more. We desire more, but we're not properly managing what God has already given to us. We desire more in our personal lives. We say, God, take us higher in 2020. But God says, What are you going to do with the word that I gave you in 2019? We say, God, we want more opportunities and more doors. Shut those other doors that are lesser and open up the big doors that are going to give us that next level of you, that next level of understanding, that next level of success. And God says, no, 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 that's not my purpose for your life. Does everybody in here realize that you have a purpose in life? You have a purpose. You have a reason why God created you. And the problem that many of us are running into is we cannot reclaim our time because we are confused on our purpose. We don't know what we've been called to do. We don't know why we exist. We don't know what God has called us into. And it's leading to time confusion, the disease of more distractions. It reminds me of this Benjamin Mays poem. He said this. He said, I've only just a minute. Only 60 seconds in it. Force upon me, can't refuse it. Didn't seek it, didn't choose it, but it's up to me to use it. I must suffer if I lose it. Give an account if I abuse it. Just a tiny little minute, but eternity is in it. Do you realize that the time you're living in is important, church? Do you realize that every single day is an opportunity for you to take a step closer to your purpose? Look at your neighbor. Say, neighbor, it's time to reclaim our time. I submit to you the greatest threat to your purpose in God is not your lack of resources. The greatest threat to your purpose in God is not your lack of access. The greatest threat to your purpose in God is not other people. The greatest threat to your purpose in God is not even the devil. The greatest threat to your purpose in God is our lack of focus. It's our lack of focus. God is calling us today, church, to have laser focus with what he has called for us to do, not someone else, not someone in a similar position to us, not people on social media. God has called us to our purpose. Nehemiah had to come to this reality. He had postured himself. Well, before God, he had prayed to God for provision. He had experienced that provision. Then he faces opposition, but now he faces distractions. There are three things that you have to do if you want to reclaim your time from distractions. You ready? The first one is this. If you want to reclaim your time, you have to audit your invitations. You have to audit your invitations. Look at Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1. When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it. Verse 2, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. Nehemiah gets an invitation. He accomplishes God's vision for his life. And the closer that he gets to God's vision, the opposition increases. You know that's a rule, right? The closer you get to accomplishing what God has for you, your opposition will increase to match it. The closer you get to realizing your purpose in God, the opposition will ramp up because they realize if he puts gates on this wall, then we're not going to be able to get in. We're not going to be able to overthrow them from the inside out. And so Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem send a messenger. Come meet us. They send an invitation. You know, it's really nice when you get invitations, right? It's really nice when you get invitations. Someone rightfully said, sometimes, right? If if you get an invitation to a wedding, you know, that's an honor, right? It's an honor to get that invitation. But you also know you probably have to buy a gift too, right? You probably have to buy a new outfit. You probably have to get your hair done or your hair cut. You probably have to make an investment based upon the invitation that you've received. And so invitations are nice, but sometimes invitations are actually tricks. Sometimes invitations are not built up for our success, but they're setups for our failure. Sometimes invitations are not as good as we think they are. You see, I believe we suffer from something it's called premature testimony syndrome. Can I talk to you about that? Premature testimony syndrome praises God for a door that's open before we've asked him if it's the right door. Premature testimony syndrome says I'm going to run down to the altar and clap and shout and sing because I got the job offer. Before we sat down and asked God, God, what do you want me to do with this? You see, some of us are guilty of praising God too quickly when God says, wait a minute, that wasn't me. That was the enemy. That wasn't me. That was somebody else. I didn't set that up for you, but we're so ready to go to the next level that God says, wait a minute, you need to make sure this is something I ordained in the first place. And so we clap our hands and we shout and we get really excited. But the problem is God isn't in it. Can I help you with something? Every good invitation is not a God invitation. Every good opportunity is not a God opportunity. Every door that's open is not one that you shouldn't just pull close yourself and walk down the other way and hop out the window so you get out the house in the first place. You hear what I'm saying? You need to audit your invitations. And this was a red flag because Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem had done nothing but oppose Nehemiah. They had done nothing but stand against him. They had done nothing but push him away. Let me help you with the principle. Just because an invitation is present doesn't mean it should be a priority. Just because it's present doesn't mean that it should be a priority. Can I give you an example? Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus himself is tempted by the devil. The devil comes up and says, I can offer you all these things, final temptation, the kingdoms of this world. All you have to do is bow down and worship me. How many know that's a bad deal? And many of us have a silent, cursed deal that we are offered on a regular basis that we could accept because of all that comes with it. And God is saying, I need you to exercise discernment. I need you to exercise prayer. I need you to exercise careful consideration because every good opportunity is not a God opportunity. Can I help you with something? Be careful of your invitations. Why? Why should we be careful of your invitations? Because some invitations are a setup for an assassination. Some invitations are a setup for an assassination. Watch. In the village of Ono, they were calling him to leave Jerusalem and said, Nehemiah, come up to us 25 miles away from Jerusalem. Now, in Jerusalem, he was insulated. In Jerusalem, he had his people with him. In Jerusalem, he was on familiar territory. But they asked him to travel on the road of Ono. Now, you don't know this, but in that time, the people who were traveling to Ono would often get robbed or assassinated if they were leaders of state. So they were trying to set him up for assassination. You know, sometimes you don't need to step onto a stage or a platform or eat at a table. You know, you know I've learned this, that sometimes you're at a table to eat and you don't realize that you're on the menu. You sometimes you're there and you realize, oh, they're talking about me. Oh, this is, this is something different. You step into a room and you realize that they ain't your friends. You step into your room and you realize, oh, they're not really for me here. See, sometimes God wants us to turn some things down and push some things away because sometimes invitations are not for us. They're setups for an assassination church. That's why we don't accept every single opportunity. That's why we don't say yes to every single thing. That's why we don't just tacitly say whatever you want to do. One of the most dangerous things you can say is the answer is always yes. Really? Some people are in your life for a season, and sometimes God needs you to say no to them in the next season. The answer is not always yes. Can I give you a theological word? It's a theological word. That carries with it deep significance. Get out your pen, your pad. I want you to write this word. This word is powerful. This word will change your life. This word has the power to clear the deck for you, to give you everything that God has for you. I'm just recently coming into contact with the power of this word. Are you ready for it? This word, this deep theological word with great significance is the word no. No. No, not I'm sorry. No, no. Can you practice that right now? Look at your neighbor. Say no. Look at your other neighbor. Other neighbor needs to hear it too. Say no. 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 Well, you know uh, what happened was uh, you try to come up with an excuse to get out of it. No. 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 I'm good. No. No. You need to get in the habit of saying no and meaning it because there are certain things and there are certain people that will only hear a forceful no. This is what Henry Cloud says. Henry Cloud wrote the book Boundaries. Henry Cloud says this, a good test of a relationship is how a person responds to the word no. Love respects no, control does not. When I say no, your response tells me a lot about where we're at in our relationship. If I say no and you reach around, you hug me, you say it's all good, we'll catch you on the next time. We say, hey, we'll work something else out. We'll find another date that fits. But if you say, if you get upset and you get angry, oh, the only reason I'm in this relationship is so you can control me. The only reason I'm in this relationship is because you want me to think I'm your source. The only reason I'm in this relationship is so that you can exercise dominance over me. But how many know the only person I serve is God Almighty. The only person that I'm submitting to is Jesus the only person that I'm going to bow down before is the king of kings and the lord of lords somebody say no 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 no. and what makes no difficult and what made no probably difficult for Nehemiah is that these people were powerful can we talk about something we need to stop being infatuated with earthly human power Earthly human power will only take you so far. Earthly human power will only get you so many connections and networking opportunities. Just because they are the president of whatever, just because they are the manager of whatever, just because they are bishop or apostle or prophet does not mean you're supposed to say yes to them, church. And what we do is we're so infatuated that someone asked us. We're so infatuated that someone said, why don't you come sit next to me? And God in heaven is looking down saying, you didn't act like that when I called you into ministry. You didn't act like that when I opened up a door for you. So the question is this, are you more fulfilled doing the work of the Lord or more flattered by the invitation? Someone said, no, 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 it's not for me. God didn't call me to do that. And that's why we need to audit our invitations, church, because invitations are a runway towards distraction. Number two, if you want to reclaim your time, you need to monitor their intimidation. You need to monitor their intimidation. Look at verses 6 and 7, Nehemiah chapter 6. It says, in which was written, once he handed him the letter, it is reported among the nations and Geshem says it is true. (laughs) Hang on. Let me say that again. It was reported among the nations and Geshem says it was true. Let me say it one more time. It is reported among the nations and Geshem says it is true that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt. Now, who are the three people that have been opposing Nehemiah this whole time? Sanballat, Tobiah and Geshem. So based upon a rumor from a third-hand enemy, now they are going to try to confuse Nehemiah into stopping what God has called him to do. You want to know the one thing that will get you distracted and will cause you to be confused more than anything else? Rumors. Rumors. Well, you know, I heard. You know what I heard about so-and-so, right? I ain't gonna say, you know, that's how someone know you know someone wants to actually say what it is when they say, Well, you know, it ain't really my place to say or whatever, but I mean, you know what I heard though, man. Woo. It's crazy. But I'm not gonna say nothing. You know, I don't want you to I don't want to put you in the middle of everything, you know what I'm saying? I'm gonna just go ahead and tell you what it is. You ever heard a rumor about you? And you were like, Wow, that's kind of interesting. I wanna see how this turns out. What happened next? What happened next? Did I really do this? What did I do? What did I say? Tell me. How many of you know that rumors have the power to distract and derail you from God's purpose for your life? Because you are so fixated on refuting the rumor that you forget your purpose. Here's what they did. They built an entire argument based upon a third-hand rumor, church. Do you realize that everything that goes on Facebook is not true? Yes, yes, yes. Not everything that goes on Instagram is factually accurate? Yeah. Not everything that people says that goes viral is actually intellectually verifiable? And there are so many people that want to get the validation of the crowd that they build their entire lives and their entire arguments and their opinion about you based upon what they heard about you. So they don't like you and they ain't even met you yet. They don't like you and we've never had a face-to-face conversation. But based upon what someone else said, you know, sometimes you got to leave people in their wrongness. Sometimes you got to let people believe whatever they want to believe about you. Let me tell you something. If you want to refute every single rumor that is passed around about you, you will never get anything done. You will never accomplish anything for God. You will never see the fulfillment of your purpose. Because it doesn't matter what you have been called to do. I can say this with confidence. God did not call you to refute every rumor that you hear about you. He didn't. Furthermore, watch this. He hands it to him. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 says that he hands it to him in an unsealed letter. An unsealed letter. And in his hand was an unsealed letter. What does that mean? That means that not only is the messenger reading it, but the messenger shared it with everybody. It's on Facebook now, y'all. It's unsealed. They wanted everyone to know. You see, sometimes people are sharing rumors about you or about us or about the work of God simply because they want to confuse everybody else who's watching. That's why it's so important for us to stay prayed up, to stay consistent, and to stay focused. Because if we are not careful, we will let what someone says in public distract us from what God has called us to do. He handed it in an unsealed letter. He said, well, you know, I'll just put it in a Facebook group. I'll put it in a private Facebook message and leave it out there. Or, you know what? This is my favorite. When people sub-status you, they talk about you without adding your name in. They basically put in all the details about who you are. You know, you know how sometimes they do that? They say, well, I heard that this person who's about five ten and a half and a half and has an afro and wearing a white shirt and the son of a preacher who gets up on Sunday mornings and he be preaching too, I heard that maybe possibly this could be true about him. And you're like, wait a second. Wait a second. Nobody came and told me this. Nobody came and said this to me. Nobody asked me if it was true. But people will believe the lie about you quicker than they hear the truth about you. What do I say? The lie goes around the world twice before the truth has the time to put its pants on. And we need to be careful, church, because we need to be careful that we're not co-conspirators with the rumors and the unverified reports of what someone else says. Just by simply listening and nodding, we can give tacit agreement to whatever someone says out of their mouths. No, listen, I'm not a safe place for your rumors. No, I'm just going to let you know right now I'm not a safe place for your rumors. Go ahead and seal that letter up. Go ahead and walk away. I don't want to hear the unverified reports. If I can't hear from the horse's mouth, I don't believe it. That's what God has called us to do when it comes to his kingdom. I will only listen to what I can verify. The devil moves in darkness, the devil moves in the shadows. But God moves in the light. Can I tell you one more thing that they did? They took it to another level. Look at this. Nehemiah chapter 6 verse 10. <laughs> one day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, son of Mehetabel, who was shut in at his home. He said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night they are coming to kill you. Later on, Nehemiah finds out that this person was actually paid by the enemy to talk to him using the language of God. Now, I would expect it if unsaved, unbiblical, untheological people spread the rumors themselves. But when it's people within the context of the church, when it's people who name the name of Jesus... Y'all looking like I'm talking about you. I'm not talking about you. I'm just saying what's in the text. Y'all like, oh, what? who said what? I'm, I'm talking about the text. It just came out of the text. Don't worry. I'm not shooting at anybody, okay? No free smoke here. I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm just preaching the word. Just a principle for you to keep in mind. Y'all were looking like, oh, man, he coming at us hard, though. The reality, though, is we need to be careful because we can be led astray. Just because someone is representing the church does not mean they're telling the truth. And there are a lot of people who say, God said this, thus saith the Lord that. And just because God hasn't gotten them yet doesn't mean they were telling the truth. Their retribution may come later. Their judgment may come when they stand before the king. But that's why it says we must test everything that is said in the name of God. Test the spirits to see if they are true or not. One more thing and we'll move on. Nehemiah chapter 6 verse 7. They give Nehemiah an ultimatum. They say, there is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king, so come, let us meet together. They give you an ultimatum. You want to know one of the most dangerous, manipulative, emotionally destructive things that someone can do? It's give you an ultimatum. If you don't do this, then I'll do that. If you don't accept me, then I'll say this. This happens a lot with our young people, and I want them to tune in on this. Young people are pushed into doing things prematurely before they are supposed to simply because they feel and believe that if they don't do whatever this person asked them to do then they will be left alone and rejected they are presented with a passive ultimatum well if you don't want to do this that's cool like I can just find somebody else well you know if you don't want to participate in this it's all right you know it's cool maybe this isn't for you And these are schemes from the enemy to distract us, but they are also opportunities from God to reveal who our true friends are. Ultimatums reveal true allegiance, church. If someone gives you an ultimatum and says, if you don't do what I said to do, then I will leave you. I will do this. These consequences will happen. How many know that that person is trying to control you? That person is trying to exercise manipulation over you. So you have to monitor their intimidation finally, and then we'll let you go. Remember your inspiration. Everybody say inspiration. inspiration. After all this, Nehemiah sends a reply. He says, nothing like what you are saying is happening. I love this. You're just making it up out of your head. They were all trying to frighten us thinking their hands will get too weak for the work, and it will not be completed. You want to know the danger of being distracted? You want to know the danger of not having focus? Do you want to know the danger of believing every lie and trying to refute every rumor? The danger is that you won't complete the work that God has called you to complete. You won't do what God has called you to do. That's why I like to say reclaiming, it's all about remembering. Reclaiming is all about remembering? Do you remember what God called you to do? Do you remember what assignment he gave you? Do you remember the instructions that he delivered to you? Do you remember all the times that he's confirmed that this is something you're called to walk in? Do you remember? Whenever I think about remembering, I think about Dr. King, and of course, it's Black History Month, so I love to put in these stories as much as I can, but Dr. King had this moment of remembrance during the Montgomery bus boycott in 1956. He called the boycott, and he assumed, many other people assumed as well, that it would last just a couple of days. They would refuse to get on the Montgomery bus uh, system. They would refuse to patronize. They would instead walk to work, oftentimes many miles. And then they would say, we lose so much money from the lack of black participation that we'll make a change. We'll, We'll figure it out. We'll do something else. But they said a few days, it became many days, and then it became weeks, and then it became months. It was harder than what he expected. You ever signed up to do something and realize it cost you a little bit more than you calculated? It cost you a little bit more than you thought it would. So much so that they started calling his house They started calling his house 40 times a day, 40 times a day, saying this very simple sentence, call off the boycott or die. Call off the boycott or die. 40 times again and again and again. And then on a late Friday night, January 27th, King slumped home after another long strategy session was under his belt, and he found his wife asleep. And he paced about, and his nerves were on edge because he had received another 40 calls. And right when he was pacing, he heard the phone ring. He picked it up, and there was a voice on the other end that says, Leave Montgomery immediately if you have no wish to die. He hung up. He was angry. He was fearful. And he walked into the kitchen, and he sat down, and he cried out to God. This is what he said in the book, Stride Toward Freedom. He said, I was ready to give up. With my cup of coffee sitting untouched before me, I tried to think of a way to move out of the picture without appearing a coward. In this state of exhaustion, when my courage had all but gone, I decided to take my problem to God. With my head in my hands, I bowed over the kitchen table and prayed aloud. The words I spoke to God that midnight are still vivid in my memory. He said, I am here taking a stand for what I believe is right, but now I'm afraid. Anybody ever been afraid? anybody ever been terrified he said now I'm afraid the people are looking to me for leadership and I stand before them without strength and courage they too will falter I'm at the end of my powers anybody ever got to the end of yourself I have nothing left I've come to a point where I can't face it alone this was the great civil rights leader this was the great organizer This was the Nobel Peace Prize winner. He said, at that moment, I experienced the presence of the divine as I had never experienced God before. It seemed as though I could hear the quiet assurance of an inner voice saying, stand up for justice. Stand up for truth. Watch this. And God will be at your side forever. And God will be at your side forever. He said, almost at once, my fears began to go. My uncertainty disappeared. I was ready to face anything. Don't praise God yet, because three days later, his house got bombed. Three days later, his family narrowly escaped with their lives. When they asked him about it, when they asked him if he would advocate for violent retribution and revenge, King said this, he said, no, I feel really calm. They're like, how do you feel calm? He said, because I know that God is at my side forever. Church, it hits different when God is at your side. It feels different when God is with you. Your purpose can be accomplished when God is with you. You can do everything he's called you to do when God is with you. You don't have to fear man when God is with you. You don't have to look at people's faces when God is with you. I think there's a few people that have experienced the confidence that comes with knowing that God is by my side. God is leading me. He's a strong tower. When God is with you, you can say... That he that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide in the shadow of the Almighty. When God is with me, you can say God is going to uphold me by his righteous right hand. When God is with me, you can say that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, it's on the inside of me right now. When God is with me, you can say that he's a very present help in a time of trouble. When God is with me. And I don't know about you, But I don't care if they accept me. I don't care if they doubt me. I don't care if they put me down. I don't care if they say I can't make it. It is for God I live and it's for God I'll die. It is God who is standing next to me. You need to get the mentality that even if they threaten me with death, even if they threaten me with destruction, God is by my side. God is in it. Does anyone feel like God is with you? Does anyone feel like God is in it? Is anyone saying I'm going to remember my inspiration today? If that's you, I want you to stand up to your feet right now. We're going to make this proclamation. We're going to remind ourselves of who God is on the inside of us. And let me remind you, it is not going to be simple and easy. Just because you make this declaration... Does not mean that the enemy will not attack you. Quite the contrary. It's not magic. It's not an incantation. This is a statement of confidence for you. Let hell come. The gates of hell won't prevail against the church. Let them attack. Greater is he that's on the inside of us than he that's in the world. We quote these scriptures and we do not believe them. We don't believe them because as soon as we walk out of these doors, we're cowering in fear. All the faith we felt in this moment quoting those scriptures, it left us as quickly as it came. But today it's not going to leave you, church. Church. I want to challenge you to make a fresh proclamation that God is on my side. I will remember who inspired me. I will remember who called me. I will remember what he told me to do. Lift up your hands right now. Lift up your hands. Father God, right now, I ask that you would give your people confidence, that you would give your people boldness, that you would come down and give them a double portion of your anointing, that you would set their faces forward like flint, that you would strengthen their legs. Even as Nehemiah said, strengthen the work of my hands, God. When people are trying to distract me, when people are trying to put me down, when people are trying to talk about me, when they're spreading rumors on me, when they're saying I can't make it, even when people in your own house, so doubt you I need you to remember that God is for you God has promised never to leave you and never to forsake you God I pray that you would come down and I pray that you would inhabit them in a way that they have never been inhabited before because they have a mission to accomplish in 2020 they have things that need to be done in this year they have things that need to be seen in this year and God no devil from the pit of hell itself is going to be able to stop them So, Father, we praise you in victory. We don't praise you for victory. We praise you in victory because you've already given it to us. I want you as loud as you can. I want you to say, I will remember. remember. Lift up your hands. Lift up your hands. You said it like you were at at a football game. That's great. They scored. Yay. Say it with your spirit. Because whatever it is God called you to do, don't forget it. Whatever God called you to do, don't stop. Don't let anybody distract you or dissuade you. Where God called you to be, you stay there. You plant your feet ten toes down. And you say, I'm not moving until God lifts me up and says it's time to go. Somebody say, I will remember. We're going to say it one more time. I want you to say it with belief. I want you to say it with faith. I want you to think about that thing he's called you to do. And maybe you don't know what that is yet, but I want you to think about him because you can trust him to reveal it to you in his time. Are you ready? Are you ready, church? Are you ready, church? Say, "I I will remember. Now give God a shout of praise. Give him a shout of praise. Come on, seal it with praise. Come on, keep it going, keep it going. Confuse the enemy with your clap. Confuse the enemy with your shout.